Recorded live. Greetings. Welcome to the live Sabbath services of I Saw the Light Ministries.com. This is Pastor Tim of I Saw the Light Ministries.com. Today is November 21st, 2015. We'll put on some music, we'll sing a couple of songs or so, and then we'll have today's sermon. Thank you for listening. And there will be a pause of a minute or so, and then the music will begin. Thank <laughs> you. 
go to the uh, other book for a minute, the other song book, page four. Well, guess not. That CD is broke. So I have to write that down. I don't know where your copy of that one is, the American Standard. Let's see if we can find a copy of that CD and put on. And if not, we'll go back to the other CD. Huh? Will, you want to read it? You want to try? No? Well, don't we try to do it without music? Because one of these days we may not have it. Let's try it first without the music, page four. Let me get some more. Well, that is some coffee. If it's not going to have no music. We have done songs about music a long time ago. At least one. All right, let's try Ephesians 6. Which are, are the 
went in here, you think we could probably go without music. We need to get you down without music.
our refuge, our high tar, our buck, the author and finisher of our faith. If we put our eyes upon you and be obedient, love you, and respect you, then you would draw near to us and the devil will flee. Praise God. May we never bless the devil, but may we always worship, glorify, lift up the name of Jesus Christ. We ask you, Father God, for your help, Lord, Today in this service, this evening, tonight, tomorrow, and forevermore, regardless of what occurs, that we would look to you as our shepherd to take comfort in your rod and in your staff. Take comfort in that you are overlooking us, leading us, guiding us, directing us, protecting us, and shining a light upon our path. Father God, we, me and Brittany went this morning and looked at a lot of buildings and went in one, talked to the landlord, and he seems very favorable with us, even give us a discount on the deposit to where we can get the lecture on. But, Lord, I don't know because the other place is so much smaller and be easier to rent and cheaper and everything, and it's more on a main uh, road where people can see us and, and walk in and, and learn about it. Uh, that it's going to come down, God, to what you will allow both landlords to say and what the electric company is going to say. And all that's going to have to be through your will. So we pray, Father God, your will and what the other landlord will say, what this landlord will say when I get back with them, what the electric company will say, that you'll put your words in their heart and in their minds and in their mouths, that the places where you don't want, we will not be able to get it. That we will hear no. That where you would put your name, where you will establish your name, where you will anoint, where you will ordain, where you will move, that we will hear yes. That God, you would open only the door of your will, Lord. That we would look to you as our shepherd, Lord. You own the land, you own the earth, and all the inhabitants are us. And it will be according to your will, Father God, above all. Ask God for your leadership today. Ask God you help marshal wherever he's at, Lord, and others, and the people that will listen online, our families, our friends, everybody that's on our prayer list. We lift them all up to you, God, for your will to Thank you for the sunshine, for the Sabbath day. We lift up to you all of our true brothers and sisters across the world that are observing the Sabbaths and meeting together and those that are alone and don't know where to go. We lift them up to you, God. Lift up the feeble knee, those who are weak, those that are destitute by themselves, Lift them up to your God that you will prevail for encouragement for them, that they be brought together with brothers and sisters in Christ that will help them and bless them and be there for them, to help them to grow in your truth and your word, Lord, and in your spirit and in your might and in your will. Praise God for this house here, Lord, where we're meeting today that you provide a place for us. 
Thank you for our brothers and sisters. Thank you for what you have called and brought together. Let no man put it asunder. Thank you for our husbands and wives, our brothers and sisters. Safety today. We lift up any of the true Christians in the Middle East, those that have the Holy Spirit, those that are following you, for your protection upon them in China, Russia, Middle East, Africa, South America, and across the world, wherever they are, God, our true brothers and sisters, and those that are about to be our brothers and sisters, those that are on the verge of accepting the truth, those that are on the verge of learning the truth, those on the verge of accepting you and surrendering to you. We lift them up to your Father God and your protection upon them as well, according to your will, Lord. All things according to your will and your timing. Let's just hand it over all to your God. You're in control. It's yours. We submit to you, Jesus Christ, as our Lord, our Savior, our King, and our God. In Jesus' holy name, so Amen. Praise God. May we see you. Okay, so today is November the 21st, 2015 A.D., in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in God's created calendar, it is the 10th day of the ninth month. 10th day of the ninth month. Amen. Praise God. You can be turning to Matthew 5. That's where we'll start here in a couple of minutes. Matthew 5. A lot going on in the news. Um, most recently, uh, it was announced that Turkey. Uh, said that they're ready to begin very soon now the um, establishment of a no ISIS zone inside Syria, which means like like I reported in the newsletter many months ago and more than once have reported how that Turkey and the United States 
uh, had made the agreement to, uh, with the support of the American Air Force, to plow into the nation of Turkey uh, so many miles deep, so many miles long, uh, with the Turkish Air Force and American Air Force to make uh, uh, all that territory that bordering Turkey an ISIS-free zone, which is nothing short of an invasion because they're establishing a certain region of a certain amount of miles in each direction where Turkey will be in control uh, of the airspace and uh, and Turkey is the enemy of Assad is one of his arch enemies above all else as far as political national physical uh, and Turkey is a NATO member and Turkey has uh, for decades been an ally of the United States so this is a major development that they're about to push the button, as they themselves said, uh, to begin this operation. That's different than Russia striking ISIS, because Russia is Assad's friend. And it's separate and different than Saudi Arabia when Saudi Arabia was doing all the airstrikes, because Saudi Arabia was not establishing one area of a certain distance, so many miles by so many miles, but they was rather, Saudi Arabia was doing just here and there, hand-picking, and Saudi Arabia is not a NATO member. So the situation with Turkey is much more of a severe situation where it's a NATO member establishing a region basically for themselves. And Assad is going to see this as an invasion as a takeover of his territory, uh, he might not fight back immediately. He may even say, uh, oh, well, as far as in public, uh, because there's a lot of uh, decoys and, and uh, misinformation, disinformation, political wrangling, to where all these nations, like every now and then, you would even see where Russia has said, well, Assad must go. Assad needs to go. We're encouraging Assad to step down to have political transition. You'll see those news reports sometimes. But then, very next day, you'll see a news report that where Russia is saying, no way, we will not allow Assad to go. We will support him all the way. So why the contradiction is because of political wrangling, disinformation, decoys, setting up the traps for the people that are not, uh, uh, people, setting up traps for people that are um, wishy-washy and don't know what to believe and and so forth uh, for the weak and so forth to, uh, for the deceived and for those people that uh, refuse to believe that it's a sod that they can hang on to the lies. So it's the devil's lies. Whenever Russia says Assad must go, it's a lie just for political gain. And then the very next day, they say Assad must stay because that's the way they really feel. So it's being two-faced and 
putting out information out there for the gullible for anyone that will buy it. We need to be watching the news, realizing what's going on, really, really, really realizing what's going on. We've got to be informed. We've got to uh, look at the news in the light of Scripture. And it's very important, very vital, that we understand what's going on in the news. We don't want to be ignorant of what's going on. We want to understand what's going on. It's written in the scripture what will occur so that when we see the things that's going on now, we will understand. Amen. Then we can warn others, let them know what is occurring, why it's occurring, and how it's going to come out so that it's not a mystery to us. We'll be better prepared for the future. it make us stronger, and it will give God the glory. So that is many reasons why we need to understand what's going on. All right, so we'll start in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to talk about what does it mean to bless your enemy? What does it mean to bless your enemies? Because many times uh, on Facebook, when I've had to argue with people, and they resisted the truth. They refused to even look at the truth. They refused to fast. They re- refused to pray. They refused to even read the article, to even examine the evidence. Complete rebellion and argue and rebuke me for sharing the truth. And so many times they were finished with saying, Bless you, God bless you. And people are in argument. And they are, they are your enemy. And they are rebuking you for the truth. And then they will say, God bless you, not because they love you, not because that they are truly blessing you, not because that they are God's children, but because they think the scripture means that whenever you have an enemy, that you should say, God bless you. That's what they believe, and that's their practice. And it's an insult. It's like cussing them out, and that's the way they use that. They say, God bless you, as if that is cussing them out. And that's what's in their mind. That's what's in their heart. God bless you. And that's blasphemous, and that's taking God's name in vain more than saying GD. Because G.D. is not his name. It's not. But in the spiritual realm, it is taking his name in vain when they say that. But when they say, God bless you, in that attitude of, you're my enemy, and you're deceived and I'm not deceived and they got that spirit of pride and rebellion and refuse to even look at the truth and they say, God bless you, it's just as bad as saying GD because that they are truly the enemy and not us and they are taking God's name in vain and they're taking it out of context of what it means to bless your enemy. 
Bless your enemy is not an insult. Bless your enemy is not your response to people in an argument. It is not cursing somebody out the way that people use it. So in Matthew 5, verse 38, Matthew 5, verse 38, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and a tooth for tooth. What does that mean right there? The Jews were taking that scripture, notice in New American that that's in all capital letters to signify that the Old Testament quotation. The Jews, knowing the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law, applied this in a hypocritical fashion, completely against the spirit of the law. They applied this the same way that people apply that God bless you when you're arguing with them. They applied it in a way that gives you permission to insult someone. They applied it in a way that you can take revenge against someone, to come back at them with violence, to do whatever they did to you, to do it back to them with vintage revenge. So they applied it out of... uh, out of the spirit of the law rather than in the spirit of the law. Verse 39, but I say to you, do not resist an evil person. That word but means opposite. That you're saying this, but I'm saying something opposite. I am correcting you. I'm showing you the way it really should be. It shouldn't be revenge. You should not resist that evil person, and that word resist evil person means that you should not take revenge on that evil person, that you should not respond back eye for eye and tooth for tooth, that if they call the police on you, you shouldn't call the police on them. If they call uh, Social Security on you, you shouldn't call Social Security on them. If they write you an angry letter, you should not write them an angry letter so forth, so forth. But people have twisted this to mean that if somebody breaks into your house at night, that you should not resist that evil person. That you should not resist. That you should not protect your family, not protect your children, not protect your wife. Just let them rape and murder your family and run over you. That is not what Jesus is saying. That's insane. But I've heard that over and over and over. It's, it's a very popular doctrine of people today teaching that you're not supposed to resist any evil person. You're not supposed to protect your family. Somebody hits you, hit you in the face. No, you're never supposed to strike back, regardless of the situation. And that is insane, actually. But when it says, do not resist that evil person, it's talking about in the context of taking back an eye for eye and tooth for tooth, of, of going back and revenge against that person. 
which is separate and different from self-defense. Now, I know this sounds familiar to you because I've talked about this before, but God has laid it on my mind again and on my heart again and confirmed it to me today. So I know that's what God wants me to repeat, but I've not gone back to look at what I said last time or what scriptures I used last time. This is a fresh word and a fresh look at this based on what God has given. Then it continues here, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And I'm guilty of misunderstanding this as well as anybody else because when we were babes in Christ, when we were younger, when we first come to know the Lord or even before then, when we first read this in Scripture, before we had the Holy Spirit, we take things by the letter like the Pharisees did because we did not have the Holy Spirit yet. We wasn't saved yet. And when we did receive the Holy Spirit and get saved, we were still immature. We were still babes in Christ. So we still didn't understand. But now that we have the Holy Spirit, and now that we're growing in the Holy Spirit, and now that we're maturing, then as we continue to read these scriptures over and over and over, we start to understand them more and start applying the spirit of why this was written, what it really means. This ain't talking about if somebody comes up with a baseball bat that you should just go ahead and let him kill you. That's not what it means. It's not talking about baseball bat. It's talking about a simple slap. And you got to understand this was written 2,000 years ago. you got to understand the culture, the background, the mannerisms of the people at that time. And the culture and mannerisms of the Jews at that time, these people that he's talking to, these people that stood right in front of Jesus when he was saying these words, they understood. We've got to get out of the Western 2015 mindset. We've got to get into the mindset of 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. And the mindset back then is when somebody would insult you, they would slap you in the face as an insult. Even today in the Middle East, they would actually literally slap one another, left and right all over the place, on a constant, constantly. It's an everyday thing, people slapping each other. So it's an insult to them. And people in the Middle East, when they slap one another, they don't throw themselves, they don't throw that person that slapped you, they don't throw them to the ground and beat. They don't consider it as a violent attack. They don't consider it as an attack physically. They consider it as only an insult. Only an insult. A simple insult. So Jesus is saying, if somebody gives you a simple insult, whether it's it's in the Middle East with a slap, which is completely different with a punch, completely different than a punch. If somebody insults you with words that you're not to insult back, you're not to get 
into, uh, will you call me a name? I give you call your name back. You're not to get into uh, insulting one another, but stick with the scriptures, stick with the facts. Don't get into exchanging insults. This is what it's talking about. Now, verse 40, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Now, that's talking about, that's very simple right there. And I believe that verse is very literal. That if somebody sues you, this ain't talking about whether you can sue them or not. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about if someone does sue you, then you are to give them what they're asking for. Why? Because they're suing you because they think you owe them. They think that you have done them wrong. They think that you owe them a certain amount of money. Well, if they think that, we should go ahead and give it to them because in their mind, they are right. In their mind, we are wrong. In their mind, we owe that. And so, if at all possible, we should pay that to win them over to Christ, to let them know that we are honest, that, hey, if you say I owe it, well, okay, I'll give it to you. So that they will see that we are not thieves and that we do pay our dues and that we do treat you right. That we treat people fairly and just. That we want to be we want to treat others as they treat uh, as we want to be treated. And if we say, "Hey, you owe me a certain amount of money," then we want them to pay. So it should go the other way around as well. Verse 41, whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Now, that does not mean that we should give somebody cigarette money, drug money, alcoholic money. If they're alcoholic, somebody comes up and wanting a dollar, two dollars so that they can get drunk and waste their lives away. This is not a commandment to help the sinner sin. It is not a commandment to help the sinner sin. It is not a commandment to uh, help someone stay in their sin and help them with their addiction. So, we do have to use a little bit of common sense with Scripture. We do have to use a little bit of common sense with who to lend to and who to give to. We have to take the entire Word of God, from Genesis to Revelation, and not just one verse. And so, if we take the entire Scripture and the entire book, then we know we are not supposed to help people sin. 
Amen. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, that's not written in Scripture. That's just a saying that the people had back then, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Now, love your enemy. Uh, for some people, can be difficult, and other people uh, don't really have that hard of a problem with loving your enemy. It's based on how much of the Holy Spirit you have and how mature in Christ you are. If you have a good measure of the Holy Spirit and if you are mature in Christ, it should not be hard to love your enemies. But we do have to get to the place of maturity in God before the Holy Spirit, before we can get to that point. But it should not be hard to love your enemies. What we need to do is to look at them in the state that they actually truly are. They may look angry. They may look and sound like our enemy. Do you know the truth is it behind everything is that they are in bondage, they are deceived, they're in a snare, they're caught in a trap, and they're poor and destitute and naked and do not know it. It's actually very, very, very sad, the condition that these people are in. So if we look at it like that, that this poor person is blind, miserable, and naked and don't even know it, then we can be sad for them and feel love for them and feel compassion for them. So it's all all in how you look at things and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for them because They need salvation. They need the Lord. They need Jesus. They need revelation. They need their eyes open. So even if you don't feel that love, you should be able to at least pray for them that they will get delivered from everything that they need to get delivered of. And if we are praying for them to get delivered, to change, to be changed, to be transformed from the darkness to the light, then that's how we learn to love them. How can you hate someone that you pray for? How can you hate someone that you're praying for their salvation, for their deliverance, that they will make it to heaven in the first resurrection, that they will make it into the kingdom of God, that they will receive the Holy Spirit? If you're praying all this for them, then how can we hate them? We will fall in love with them the more we pray for them. We'll fall in love with them because of our compassion for the laws. Amen. But I want to point something out to you. This verse 44 in New American Standard is different than King James. King James in this verse says, bless your enemies. It doesn't say this in New American Standard in this particular verse. But now it does say bless your enemies in the book of Luke 
in New American Standard. So we still have to address that issue of bless your enemies and what does that mean. But before we address that in Luke and what that means, let's first look deeper into this verse 44, Matthew 5:44, New American Standard, and compare it to King James. So I'm going to read you what it says in King James. King James, it says, but I say unto you, now read it in New American, if you would, as I'm reading this. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Now, if you want to put a comma there or a line or a slash, I would recommend that because that's where King James starts adding to Scripture. King James inserts here, after the word enemies, King James inserts, bless them that curse you and do good to them that hate you. It adds that entire sentence in King James. Then, it picks back up in New American Standard. Uh, King James both agree where it says, and pray. New American Standard says that. King James agree and pray for them, which despitefully use you and persecute. So it's added a sentence in between enemies and where it says pray. Uh, the NIV, the American Standard, the New American Standard, and several, several, several other translations uh, has it correct of not adding that entire sentence into this verse. And the reason King James adds it, as well as New King James, adds a whole sentence in that verse is because that sentence is found in Luke. <clears throat> so the Masoretes, when they uh, was translating the scriptures from the year, I think, 500 to 1200, these Masoretes, as they were known or are known today, uh, were a very wicked people. Uh, they were into uh, Jewish Kabbalism, witchcraft, Mysticism, New Age stuff, and uh, they added admittedly, it's on record, it's documented, we know without a shadow of a doubt, we can't debate it, that they added periods, commas, where they don't belong, they added words, they added sentences, and they said, well, it's in the book of Luke, but Matthew left it out, Matthew didn't write it, Luke did. So to make the two verses agree, to make the two verses agree, we will insert what Luke wrote to make the two verses identical. Well, that's not good. That's not correct. Even though Jesus did say those words, Matthew did not write. So we should leave Matthew, uh, Matthew's quotation, how Matthew wrote it, uh, as is, and not insert 
what Luke wrote. Let the book of Luke say what the book of Luke says. Let Matthew say what the book of Matthew says. So we'll look at Luke here in a minute. But now let's continue in Matthew 5, verse 45. Matthew 5, 45. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, so it's very clear here that we are supposed to love people. Even if they are sinners, even if they are our enemies, we are to love everyone, regardless of how difficult that is. But like I said, if we're praying for them, and if we keep praying for them, for their salvation, for their deliverance, for the eyes to be opened, for them to be delivered of the darkness that has encapsulated them, then we will learn to love them in time. Uh, even Jesus, even God, loves sinners, regardless of a very, very, very popular doctrine out there now that says God hates sinners because they take that verse that does say that uh, in the Old Testament, literal, in, a, uh, in the sense of what we think is hate. But they should not take that literal because the New Testament also tells us to hate our parents. It says, New Testament says, if you hate not your parents, you're not worthy of it. Well, if we take that literal, if we're supposed to hate all sinners, if we're supposed to hate our parents, then that is the opposite of love which the Ten Commandments hang on. And that is not what the Father does. God does not hate sinners. That verse actually means that God loves his own children, those that obey him, those that, those that uh, favor God, that he favors his own, that he favors us. So it, it, he favors one child above the other. That's what that is really mean, meaning. God does not hate his own creation. God does not hate human beings, for the Bible says that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So when did he love the world? While we were still sinners. It says while we were still sinners, he died for us. So it's very, very, very clear that he loved us enough. When we were still yet sinners, he loved us enough to die for us. So we got to learn to not take some words uh, 100% literal, not be like the Pharisees that took everything literal and everything by the letter. we got to understand the Spirit, and the Spirit is love. God is love. And how can love hate? It's impossible for love to hate a human being. You can hate sin, you can hate wickedness, you can hate darkness. And so we got to understand that when people come against us, when people are uh, 
provoking us and rebuking us wrongfully and accusing us wrongfully, that we can hate their words. We can hate what they're saying. We can hate Christmas. We can hate deception. We can hate the Babylonian spirit. But we cannot, should not, hate the Babylonian members. We can hate the Babylonian system, but not the Babylonian members. Because if we do, then we might as well just be a Babylonian member because we're just as lost as they are, and more so. God is love. And verse 48 says we're supposed to be perfect. So people say I can't be perfect. It's a cop-out. It's an excuse for weakness. It's an excuse for sin. But to learn what it means to bless your enemies, then we have to turn to a verse that actually does say that. So let's go to Luke, the book of Luke. Find where that's at. Luke six Luke 6.27, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Then verse 29 is about the cheek. We've already covered that. So right now let's focus on verse 28. Bless those who curse you. Does that mean that we're supposed to actually say the words? Just say the words. God bless you. No, that's not what it means. And we need to start comprehending what we're saying when we say God bless you. I don't like it when people say God bless you to me when I sneeze. Because to me, that's taking God's name in vain when they're saying that because they're saying something that's so sacred. What does it mean to bless a person? To God bless a person is a sacred thing. It's to lay hands on them, to ordain them, to anoint them. It's to uh, give them the, to verbally pronounce the blessings of heaven upon that person, that the Creator God Almighty would bestow blessings on that person is a sacred thing, is a serious thing. And we're just blatantly, flippantly throwing it out there for a 
silly sneeze. We're, we're just treating uh, sacred things and sacred uh, spiritual things uh, uh, like they're nothing but pennies. We need to have a high reverence uh, for uh, ordaining, for blessing, for spiritual matters. That spiritual matters are not games. Spiritual matters are not pennies. Spiritual matters are serious. And spiritual matters are uh, extremely important. And they should not be treated so lightly. Spiritual matters is the the difference between life and death. So are you going to say to your enemy, I bless you with the rewards of heaven? Aren't that what they're saying when we tell our enemy, God bless you? We're saying to our enemy, if you take this literal, that you should say, God bless you to your enemy, then you're saying, may God give you, uh, prosper you, may God give you a job, good income, May God do all have favor upon you. May God have all his blessings and favor upon you as if you were obedient to him. That don't make sense. May God give you, prosper you, and treat you just as if you were repentant and obedient. That's not good. That's not right. We need to be careful with who we prosper. We don't want to prosper uh, a Satanist. We don't want to prosper uh, evil. We don't want to prosper a drug dealer and give God's blessings upon him and what he's doing and his sin. We don't want to bless such a thing. The Bible talks about rebuking. The Bible talks about distancing ourselves from such things. And the Bible warns about blessing those that come to bring a different gospel and that come not to bring, come not with the doctrine of Christ, says to not bless them. Is that a contradiction? No, it's not a contradiction. We just got to understand what this really means. And what it really means is to pray for them and to love them and to not seek revenge. To pray for them, to love them, that don't mean you have to fellowship with them. That don't mean you have to invite them into your home. It don't mean that you have to condone their sin. But love them means to cry for their soul, to cry for their salvation, to pray for their salvation. That what I mean that's what love is. Love is not accepting their sin and blessing their sin and prospering their sin. 
but to pray for their deliverance. And that is a blessing. That's a good way and a holy way and an acceptable way to bless your enemies is to pray for them, to feel sorry for them, to have compassion for them, and to not seek revenge. And that is the context of this. The very next verse talks about not slapping them back, not insulting them back. So the context is not seeking revenge. We should not use God bless you as a reward to them or as a cuss word to them, or a cursing out to them. And we should not use God bless you just flippantly and to just throw it out there when we don't even mean it. We should not say God bless you if we don't mean it because you're not blessing them. It's just vain babbling. Not even heartfelt. If you say God bless you, you got to mean it. Otherwise, you're actually lying when you say that. If you say, God bless you, and you don't mean it, you're lying in the name of God. Lying in the name of God. God bless you, but no, God, don't bless him, don't prosper him, don't give him a... See, you're just lying about it, so don't lie about it. But bless them means do not seek revenge, have compassion, love them, cry for their salvation, pray for them, and do good to them as much as it is possible to you to live in peace with them. Now, I would give you an example. Is that I won't say his name, but there is an a minister, a pastor, to where years ago he had sent word to me that I'm not welcome in his church anymore. And the person that delivered that message, instead of uh, saying uh, uh, all kinds of bad things about that pastor, I chose to say instead, well, that surprises me because I think he's a good pastor, and I still think he's a good pastor. And he's just doing what he thinks he's supposed to do, and he's just trying to protect his congregation to the best of his knowledge. And I really thought a whole lot of that pastor, truly I did, and so I chose to tell the truth of what I really thought about that pastor, even though it did hurt me. It did hurt me mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. It broke my heart that he said I was no longer welcome there. But instead of revenging, saying, well, this and that, this and that, against that man, instead I chose to say good things about him. So that is blessing. Instead of seeking revenge, instead of uh, giving him a bad name. So that's part of what it means to bless your enemies. 
I do not pray that God will prosper his Babylonian church. I do not pray that God will prosper him and his job or income, nothing like that. And I don't even have to say the words, God bless But in my heart and in my mind and in my words, I do not exchange the insults. I do not exchange the attack, but choose to look at the positive instead. And in fact, recently, I saw him at the post office and I chose to speak first and and say, hello, Pastor. And we shook hands and smiled and talked as if nothing ever happened and as if there was no disagreement on doctrine and as if he had never said that I would not ever be welcome in his church. And we acted like nothing ever happened. He blessed me without saying God bless you, without using those words, without exchanging insults, without getting into the disagreement, without getting into uh, any argument that we loved one another. And I saw love in his eyes and felt love in his soul for me and vice versa. He is my enemy and I am his enemy. Because the truth and deception are enemies against one another. And the messengers of the truth and the messengers of lies are enemies. But that don't mean we have to be cursing each other out. Or trying to report one another for so-and-so. Or revenging or writing hateful letters. And the testimony I've given you is not meant to lift myself up, but to give you an example, an example of how you can bless your enemies as much as it is possible. We'll read that in a few minutes in Romans where it talks about being at peace with all men as much as it is possible. I believe that it's in that verse that we're going to read. But I know you've read that. As much as it is possible. That doesn't mean we should allow somebody to punch us, throw us down to the ground, or attack our family. That is completely different. Now, let's look, before we uh, go to Romans, Let's look at 2 John. Look at 2 John right before the book of Revelation. Two John. Verse 7. 2 John verse 7 says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. Now, even the Jews and Jehovah Witness and many other groups and cults and uh, probably even Hindus and Buddhists and all that believe that Jesus did come in the flesh. They believe, and even the Muslims believe that Jesus came in the flesh. So we got to understand what this really means. 
you got to notice the word Christ there. It's not saying Jesus come in the flesh, but rather Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. We can't leave that word Christ out, because what that means is to acknowledge him as the Messiah, to acknowledge him as God. And the Jews don't do that, and the Muslims don't do that, and the Buddhists don't do that, and the Hindus don't do that, and Jehovah's Witnesses don't do that. Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that Jesus is God. So, we've got to realize it's, that it's talking about those who don't, do not acknowledge that Jesus as God has come in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide, stay, dwell to the end in the teaching of Christ. Does not have God, the one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son, meaning both manifestations of the one being, the one person, the one spirit, the one God that we have, both manifestations. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, meaning all the teachings of Christ, and meaning that God, that Jesus is God, do not bring in this teaching, do not receive him into your house, and do not give him a greeting. Look at King James real quick. King James says, Neither bid him God speak. So do not give him a greeting or Godspeed. That's basically another way of saying, Don't give him a blessing. Don't say, as he is leaving, God bless you, which I've heard that too, of people that are enemies, and they depart, God bless you, as a as a parting insult. It's their heart of why they're saying that. But even if it's true, it's sincere, we should not give them a real blessing. If they are antichrist because why would you want to bless the antichrist spirit why would you want to bless something that denies God you don't want to bless and prosper and lift up and encourage evil do not bless the enemy in that way the only way you should bless the enemy is only by praying for their salvation and deliverance and not seeking revenge and love them with compassion and sadness for their deception that they're in. Amen. So this is directly opposite, verse 10, is directly opposite of what a lot of people are preaching and teaching and doing. Amen. 
And let's look at Matthew 10. Matthew 10. Verse 12. Matthew 10, verse 12. It says, as you enter the house, give it your greeting. Give it your blessing. In the margin here, in my Bible, it says blessing and peace to this house. Verse 13, if the house is worthy, if it, if it is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your peace. Take back your blessing of peace. Verse 14, whoever does not receive you nor heed your words, as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it would be more tolerable for the land of Solomon and Galora in the day of judgment than for that city. Because, see, the people of Sodom and Galora, even though they were wicked, deceived, and lost in such darkness, they didn't have the fullness of the gospel yet. They didn't have the testimony of Jesus yet. They didn't have the writings of Paul yet. There's a lot that they did not have. It was not even meant for them to make it into the first resurrection. was not meant for them to make it into the first resurrection. But now these people of this town that he's talking about, the people that the 12 disciples and the 70 disciples were going out witnessing, telling them about the name of Jesus, about baptism in Jesus, about receiving of the Holy Ghost, they were teaching that because they themselves received the Holy Ghost uh, before the day of Pentecost, before he ascended up to heaven. He breathed on the disciples and gave them the Holy Ghost. I believe firmly they were preaching the Holy Ghost. Sodom and Galore didn't have that. So it could be more tolerable for Sodom and Galore in the second resurrection in that hundred years than it is for these people in the New Testament time that did have the opportunity of making it into the first resurrection. But they received not our word. They received not the truth. They receive not, they reject the truth. Then when we witness to people, we are to be led by the Holy Spirit because sometimes we are to be long-suffering. The Bible talks about being long-suffering and gentle and patient, but it also talks about taking your blessing and peace, taking your peace away from them. Basically cursing them. Shaking the dust off your feet, guess what? That is a curse. Even as slapping them in the face with the insult, shaking the dust off your feet is literally cursing that person. 
not with your mouth, I mean, not with cuss words, and not with hate either, and not with vintage either, that you are cursing them with your action, justly so, righteously so, the just reward of the wicked, even in this life, And the Bible talks about doing these things so that they will repent. So that they will repent. So it's not out of hatred, but it's out of love that we do these things, this fellowship with certain people, so that they will repent. Amen. But this is completely opposite of blessing your enemy if you think blessing your enemy means saying God bless you, then this is completely opposite. So is 2 John that we read. That's completely opposite. But the Bible can't be contradicting itself. So we got to understand that bless your enemies does not mean to say the words God bless you. Because if it did then it would be a contradiction of what we just read in Matthew and what we read in John. Now let's go to Romans 12. Romans 12. Right before Corinthians... Verse 9, Romans 12, verse 9. Now, this chapter really sums it up. I mean, this really sums it up right here and makes it clear. Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. But when we say, God bless you, and we don't really truly love them, that's hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Abhor means to hate and to be disgusted at evil. It doesn't say abhor the evil person. We should not abhor evil people. We should abhor evil, the spirit. We wage not war against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers, principality. Abhor what is evil and cling to that which is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one above the other in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. I believe this is one of the songs. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Preserving in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality and bless those who persecute you and bless, do not curse. Does that mean we should never, ever, ever curse anyone? No, because we just read in Matthew that we are to curse those people, shake the dust off your feet, and that is a curse. If we think that's not a curse, then we don't understand the agent 
customs and traditions. Actually, that's still going on in the Middle East. They shake the dust off your feet. That is a curse. And Jesus went to the fig tree that was not bearing fruit. He cursed it. Why did he do that? To teach those that were watching him that, yes, we can curse things. The two witnesses would literally kill people, literally kill people with the word of God. Fire come out of their mouth, which is not literal, but the word of God. We can curse, but only when it is necessary. Only when we're led of the Holy Ghost to do so. What this means is that we should not seek revenge. That we should not seek revenge against those people that have cast us out of the churches. The context is love. So we love them, we're not going to seek revenge on them. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, talking about pride, but associate with the lowly. That don't mean we have to hang out with drug dealers and potheads. But it does mean that we should hang out and associate with widows and orphans, those that are willing to listen to the truth. Do not be wise in your own estimation. In other words, overly proudful. Verse 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. And if possible, if possible, it doesn't say in all cases, but only if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So as far as it depends on you. So that is so very, 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 very clear that if they are the ones instigating, if they come with a baseball bat, a knife, breaking into your house, whatever, uh, hurting your family physically, then, no, that's not on you. But it's on them. It's on their head. And I will defend my house, my wife, my family, and myself as God gave me the common sense to do so. Amen. You know, really... God has given us common sense about how to live for him. But the doctrines of man have confused us and deceived us and teaching us things that don't line up with the common sense that God gave us. Amen. If we just follow common sense, that right there alone would keep us in line more than a lot of the false doctrines. Verse 19, never take your own revenge. Revenge is not the same as self-defense. Not the same. Beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Talking about revenge. Who seeks revenge? God will. God will settle the matter, says the Lord. Verse 20, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Amen. Absolutely. 
somebody needs something, not talking about a drunkard, say somebody needs something, that is another way that you can bless your enemy. This is a very real way. This is common sense. This is love. This is compassion. To feed someone that is in need, regardless of whether they agree with us or not, hate us or not, come against us or not, they persecuted us or not, that if they are hungry, feed them. And not only are we showing them true love in sincerity and truth, but also we can win them to the Lord and show them, hey, we're not bad people. I don't want to be your enemy. I want to be your brother. I want to be your friend. But if the enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heat burning coals on his head. We don't want to keep burning coals. People have taken this verse to mean, oh, man, I'm going to get back at him, therefore I'm going to love him. I'm going to feed him to put coals on his head. And I've heard people say that. And I've heard that and what a bad vibration I get from people when they do it like that. We don't do this to get revenge. That's going completely against the spirit of what it's saying. But we do this because we see a need. Because we see a human being in need. Amen. Not out of revenge. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil to overcome evil with good. Amen. Do not be overcome by evil. Because when we say, God bless you, blatantly, flippantly, as a cuss, as a revenge, you're being overcome by evil. When we want to put coals on their heads do good to them, give them money as in a way to cut coals on their head just to get revenge, we're being overcome by evil. But we need to overcome evil in our own heart, in our own mind, with the spirit of love. Amen. In the next chapter, we're not going to read the whole thing, that's talking about submitting to the authorities, submitting to the law, submitting to the governors, even those that are wicked, even the wicked governors, wicked laws, and laws that might not make sense to us, and laws that we might not agree with, but we're supposed to be submissive to all that because there is no president or ruler on this earth that God has not established for reason, for season, for purpose. God is the one that appoints even the evil rulers. And he appoints them and he removes them. And he appoints them and he removes them. And he appoints them and he removes them. So we've got to be submissive to those, but also obedient to God above men, but also submissive to the law of God. But the reason that comes immediately after chapter 12 and after this context of what we've been talking about is because 
if somebody does this wrong, let the law take care of it. That's why this comes immediately after this. Let the law take care of it. Let the judges, the court system, the law, the police, and the lawyers, let them take care of it. For God has appointed them as his way of vintage against the evil. His way of controlling them. His way of vindicating you and blessing you. It's through the governmental systems of this earth that God uh, controls all the earth. He controls all the earth through the governments of man that he has established both wicked and just. He controls and he uh, works vintage even through ISIS. God is working vintage. Through Obama, God is working judgment. Through all the wicked and righteous rulers on earth, God is in control. God is in control. Even with the Zionists and the Rockefellers and all the wicked families, God is in control. They are putty in his hand. He is leading God and directing what is occurring. God is in control. Well, I believe that's everything that God gave me on this, except for one more sentence. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words or names will never hurt me. Amen? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me, or words will never hurt me. So we're not supposed to exchange the insults, stick with the facts, and uh, not slap them back. Bless them with your prayers, with your food, if they are needful, and be at peace with all men as much as possible, but also know when to curse, know when to, be, to rebuke, know when to disfellowship. We've got to read the whole Bible. We've got to read everything, apply everything. We can't apply one verse and not apply the other verse. So if we apply all the verses, if we apply all the verses, then there is a time for war. Amen. There is a time to fight that. There is a time for self-defense and for all these things, for blessing and for curse. There's a time for all things, a season for all things. Let's be instant in season and out of season knowing what to do, being led by the Holy Spirit at that time. By allowing Jesus to walk in us, Jesus is walking on us. He knows when to bless and to curse. Let him walk in you and walk in the Spirit at all times. That means staying prayed up, fasted up, read up, uh, much as you're able to. In Jesus' name, all of this, so be it. Amen. We'll turn off the internet. We thank you for listening. I encourage you to check out the website at isawthelightministries.com. isawthelightministries.com. I really encourage you to check out the website. Over 100 articles for your edification, for your health, to serve you, to walk in the Word of God, to seek Him. And all the articles point to the Scriptures. And I encourage you to just examine the things and, and compare it to the Bible, pray and fast about all things. And we're here on this live uh, broadcast every Saturday at 
12 o'clock noon Eastern Time, 12 o'clock noon Eastern Time, every Saturday. We also have a broadcast on the radio in Detroit and in Cincinnati, but you can also listen to on the website. And you can listen to this broadcast over and over as many times as you want. You can even burn it onto CD. Do with it as you want. It does not belong to me, but belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything we do is to do unto the glory of the Lord. Amen. God bless you for listening. Thank you, guest number three, for listening. And I encourage you to check out that website and uh, pray that the Father's will will be in you at all times. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen.